Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to talk about MSU's upcoming road game against the Northwestern Wildcats in Evanston on Sunday. Big thank you to new Patreon supporter Tideman at the Scott Skiles level. I'm not sure if he's a surfer or um, a guy who's really into laundry detergent, maybe an Alabama fan, I'm not sure, but uh, thanks a lot, Tideman, appreciate it. Uh, if you too would like to support the show on a monthly recurring basis or uh, via one-time gift, head on over to www.tffinots.com support to find out how. All right, Rod, Michigan State continues its winning streak. It takes it on the road for the next two games. Sitting at one and two in the conference, it means they have games to make up and they do their Illinois tour here in this next week. Uh, first, act, first up is the Wildcats on Sunday. I mean, she's had some success there over the last few years. Uh, they battle the 10-3 Wildcats. They're one and one in the Big Ten. Northwestern is ranked 66th on Ken Palm, 80th in the net, which is a little troubling for them as far as a tournament uh, seating. On offense, they are 74th overall, and on defense, they're 66, so a pretty balanced team. Uh, oh, good, but not great. On offense, they do things two things really well. They don't make many mistakes. They're 14th in turnover percentage, and they shoot threes pretty well. It's 36.7%. Decent from twos at uh, 141st in the country, uh, but don't do much in the offensive boards at 273. And get to the free throw line very rarely at the rank 312th in free throw attempts to field goal attempts. Defensive side, they just generate a lot of turnovers. That's what they did last year, too. They're 32nd in turnover percentage and 57th in steal percentage. So they're sort of like a watered-down version of Penn State, who Michigan State just faced. Uh, they do yeah, just a much, much sounder overall. But Yes, yeah. right. The other part of it is better, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they do a pretty good job protecting the rim at 102 in block percentage. Not very good against twos at 134th, and very poor defending the threes at 242nd. And if defensive rebounding is okay at 167th, and they play slow, very slow, uh, which is a team interesting for a team that forces so many turnovers. Uh, there's 352nd overall pace, which has got to be just about at the bottom of the uh, of, of how you could be in Division One basketball. Uh, the 267th in average length of possession possession yeah it, going back to the start of that discussion um if i were a northwestern fan i would be a little bit concerned when you're talking about um contending for an at-large bid in the tournament by that net number right i wouldn't be panicked because even though the big 10 is not having a stellar year by its standards, it overall, it would be inaccurate to say 
that there aren't enough possibilities left on the schedule for Northwestern to help themselves. But I guess my point is, you've already played and beaten Purdue. Yeah, and you're still and you're sitting at eighty. I, yeah. I think that Chicago State loss they took in the non-conference is really having a negative effect. I have to believe that. Yeah. Um, in the in the metrics. Um, and that's you know so that's something that they've got to overcome. It, you know, it, it is a ten and ten Northwestern team this year good enough to get a bid? Well, it probably depends in part on who the ten wins and ten losses <laughs> come against. Right. You know, and as I say, there are opportunities starting with Michigan State. Michigan State is, I think, is twenty third in the net this week. So, you know, that would be a quality win if Northwestern were able to get it. Um, but there are other, you know, Wisconsin, Ohio State, uh, Illinois are all sitting in very, very good position in terms of, of their their metric, uh, their metric standing right now, whichever system you want to use, but particularly the net, since that's the one the tournament committee uses, is, is important. So there are these opportunities left, but I guess my point is they've got to take advantage of them. I don't know that going 10 and 10 where almost all your wins come against the Minnesota, Penn State, Michigan, Rutgers, Iowa group right. is going to be enough this year. It might not be. So I, I know people, especially since that Purdue win, have kind of been thinking of Northwestern as a likely tournament team. I don't know if I'm there yet. I think they're a possible tournament team, but I wouldn't go so far as to say likely just yet. Uh, looking at their profile in in uh, more detail as you went through it, very clearly on offense, as you said, there's two things they excel in. They don't turn the ball over, and they shoot threes pretty well. Mm -hmm. Both of those are related to the strength of the team, which is their guard play. I mean, they really... True, uh, Barnheiser is their foreman, but he's really more of a wing. Yeah. They, they really have a four-out way. He's not a great shooter, but otherwise he's more of a wing. They're, they're more of a four-out, one-in kind of setup. And so given that, it probably shouldn't be surprising that those are two things that they do pretty well. Uh, defensively, again, it, you look at the turnover generation, well, a lot of that's coming from their guards. Mm -hmm. And so this is, in some ways, they really do sort of parallel Michigan State. They're not a team that looks to their centers for much in the way of offensive production. They're they're asking for those guys primarily to defend and rebound. Yeah. And any point production they get is gravy, right? Yep. It's a guard-oriented team, so very much like Michigan State in that way. And in fact, I would probably say for my money, I, I, I do think Michigan State's guards are the best in the league as a group. I would probably put Northwestern second. Okay. I think they are, and we're going to see that as we talk about these guys uh, in on an individual basis. They've got guys who can do a, a lot of different things well, and they're experienced too, so another parallel to Michigan State. So I do think we're seeing they don't play similarly in a lot of other ways, 
but in, in terms of where the strengths of the teams are and how they're oriented, what groups they're asking to do the heavy lifting, it, it, they're similar. They're similar. Okay. Yeah. They, they, um, you know, they've won three of the last four against Michigan state, which it feels yeah. like it, um, you know, they haven't played sometimes you just play once a year, but they, they're a tough team and they've won, uh, just looking at it, they've won two, the last two, they've both been in East Lansing. So this is the first time Michigan state's been back since January of 2022. Yeah. And it, it should be noted that although Michigan state has lost three of their last four overall against Northwestern and, uh, is one and one, I believe, in their last two trips to Evanston. Is it over the last ten trips to Evanston? They're eight and two. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Chris Collins era, essentially, more is or it? less. A couple, one or two of those might dip back into Bill Carmody, but that's the Chris Collins era. Now, how useful is it to talk about that when we're talking about this particular Northwestern team, which obviously is better and playing at a higher level? than many others they've had over that period. I don't know. But I guess the point is, this is a game that for a long, long time, it probably dates back, honestly, it probably dates back to the national championship year, 1979. Our, uh -huh. our older listeners will remember Michigan State took a, it, it wasn't even a close loss. It was a decisive loss at Northwestern that year at when it was McGaw Hall, not Welsh Ryan Arena. <laughs> and Northwestern was bad. I mean, really <laughs> bad. And that put Michigan State at four and four in the league. These are the days where the Big Ten would be able to get two tournament bids, and that was it. Right. So MSU was on the ropes, and it was coming out of that game. They had what's become a very famous, much-discussed players-only meeting. You get very different accounts depending upon, you know, Judd Heathcote had <laughs> one take on it. Greg Kelser has another, you know. But the bottom line is Michigan State went out and ripped off nine wins in a row to win a share of the Big Ten title after that loss at Northwestern. But I do wonder if in the psyche of Michigan State fans, it goes back that far because it always seems people are where I, I could scarcely remember a time where people weren't kind of nervous about this game out of proportion to how good Northwestern actually is most of the time. But if you look at the track record, Michigan State's dominated in that building in the Thomas O'Hara. Yeah. I mean, dominated. So I don't, and, and, as I'm sure most of our, our listeners realize, the thing about it is, typically, I don't know whether this will be the case on Sunday, but typically, the building's about half Michigan State fans. I think. You know, so it it rarely has felt like a true road environment in that way. MSU's always had pretty good crowd support, and I would expect they'll have, at a minimum, they'll have a decent turnout tomorrow. We'll, we'll, I'm not sure how Northwestern's fans are holding up these days in terms of buying up tickets, uh, but typically it's no worse than 50-50 in that building. So I'm not trying to, to say Northwestern's not worth worrying about. They certainly are. They're a quality team playing at home. That's always going to be a challenge. And they've 
recently they've had MSU's number with these players. They've had MSU's number, but I, I'm just saying it's it's my sense that oftentimes the, the, the history of it has been warped a little bit because the history is Michigan State's been absolutely dominant. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you when you play inferior teams and, you know, Northwestern tr- throughout the years has been the lesser team, anytime you lose to them, it stings a little bit more. And so then those it's are the ones you too. tend to remember, right? You don't remember the times you beat Northwestern by 20 because it's, you don't, because they're, you know, they're bad. You should beat them by 20, right? I, I got like, to <laughs> tell you, personally, I have more, um, I have more uh, concerns based on the recent history, recent-ish history, when MSU's playing them at Breslin. You right. mentioned they've lost the last two. There was a the Draymond Green team, his senior year, that won the Big Ten. Uh, that team lost at home to Kevin Koval at mm-hmm. Northwestern. I mean, so there have been some shockers at Breslin. Those are the ones that keep me up at night, not so much the ones <laughs> at Welsh Ryan. Yeah, and we were talking in the preseason, too, that Welsh Ryan has gotten better the last year or so where the students are making a lot more noise. And I think they've made emphasis on trying to fill their stands with their own fans, which is you know, great. Well, great and, they, them. and they redid they redid the building. Yep. So mm-hmm. it looks less like a glorified high school gym. Uh, yeah. And and they've they've definitely look, you got to give Northwestern credit uh, on a couple levels. They've put resources into the program. That's important. And I think you also have to give them credit for sticking by Chris Collins. Yeah. Uh, Chris Collins had that tournament team several years ago. And it was, you know, it was a group that was young enough that you looked at. I know I felt this way, that you looked at it and felt like, hey, they could be set to remain or at least on occasion be a good team. Mm -hmm. And then it just didn't work for several years after that. To the point where I think I know we discussed it here from time to time. You had to start wondering, hey, is that thing maybe winding down in terms of the Chris Collins regime? And then last year, kind of out of the blue, I don't think people expected it. I didn't expect it. Uh, they, you know, they, they lose their two best big men to the transfer portal. Right. And, you know, one of whom, Nance, was in particular a really good player for them. And yet that becomes a tournament team. And they even win a game when they get us a second. Yeah. Yep. So I think that, you know, and they're off to a solid start this year. So I, I, I think you have to give them credit. Look, that, that job has been a coaching graveyard. There, there's no two ways about <laughs> it. Yeah. So for anybody to get Northwestern to the NCAA tournament, let alone do it twice, Chris Collins, I, I think the reality is somewhere in between. He's not as bad as it looked when he was really struggling. He's probably not proven to be the guy it looked like he might be seven years ago. Yeah. Or whenever it was when he got them to the tournament for the first time. But, but somewhere between those two poles is still pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I I think that, you know, my sense is that if he wants to be there long term, you know, beyond he's already been there kind of long term. But if he wants to extend it into the into the future here indefinitely, I think he's 
I think he's got a pretty good case for it, and I think it's pretty likely. They they seem to be happy with him. And there's not, honestly in that job, there's not a lot of reason to be unhappy with him. He's gotten them to the tournament twice. Even in some of those years where they weren't a tournament caliber team and had losing records, they were still competitive. He hasn't put up like a Minnesota last year kind of season. Right. You know, that yeah. that has not happened. And and he's kept them, you know, he's kept them competitive. And any and other people, you know, Bill Carmody, I thought, made them very competitive on a year in, year out basis, but Bill Carmody couldn't break through that tournament ceiling. Yep. And so exactly. Collins has done it twice. That you really can't expect a hell of a lot more. No. It's a tough job, and I think he's done a pretty credible uh, given a pretty credible effort since he's been in it. Yeah, I think in general, Northwestern has made good hires there. Like, I thought Bill Carmody was good. Like you mentioned, I thought he was a pretty good coach. And he was. They've not they had unrealistic expectations. Yeah, they, for sure. And Collins has been a good one. And uh, yep. I, I guess the question for Collins is what he wants to do long term, right? Because, yep. you know, there might be opportunities from elsewhere where you can have more resources and, you know, things would be a little bit easier. I don't know. I mean, that was the talk, you know, when he had that first tournament breakthrough. Right. Mm-hmm. Was, okay, where's the next step? And at that point, you still had the Duke job out there as a possibility, like whenever right. K steps aside. But then it, it became obvious, John Shire, and look, I'm not, I can't say I'm knocked out by John Shire thus far. I think he's been okay. Uh, but he's also not looking like he's going anywhere. No. So, yeah. and he's very young. He's younger than Collins by a considerable amount, mm-hmm. probably a decade or close to that. So, uh, that job isn't going to open up. So then, likely at least. So then it it becomes about well, what else would be a possibility that offers you a better situation? And that's hard to say. And I don't know enough about the inner dynamic of Chris Collins' family. I do know that he's from Chicago, the Chicagoland area. And so he's home. Yeah. Right. Which for a lot of people is a big yeah. deal and it may be for him. Yeah, for uh, sure. He's in a place that pressure cooker is not really there the way it is in a lot of other places. You've got resources. You're in a great league. If you have a good team, you're going to be a tournament team in the big 10. So you don't get screwed out of anything that way. That's a positive. And, you know, they've, they've, it's obviously proven to be a place that he can be competitive enough that at least every once in a while he can, he can get into March. It just depends. You know, some yeah. guys are driven by, and you could see where he might say, I want to get to a place where I can actually think about Final Fours. Because mm-hmm. that's a little bit beyond where Northwestern is, unless a fluke right. happened. Yeah. You know? Um, but where would that be? I don't know. I would I would bet on his not looking to move anytime soon. I just don't see signs of that, but you never know. Yeah. It almost have to someone have to come calling for him for some reason. And yeah. you know, in many yeah. ways he really reminds me of, of Fitzpatrick, who is there and you know, had the pers- <laughs> sort of the off field issues yeah. that blew up his career. But yeah. uh, you know, a guy who seemed very comfortable in that university where you can have a moderate level of success. Yep. And you it's know, a good big comparison. Man it's a good, I think, uh, it's a good. Uh, the, gig. the difference there is Fitz was actually able to at least win some division titles. So uh, basketball being a different setup, it's not <laughs> quite as easy. There's no equivalent of the West Division in basketball, right? 
but uh, but yeah. I do I do take I think that's a good comparison, and you know and he was obviously a Northwestern alum. Didn't look like he was thinking about going anywhere nope. else, and and so yeah, I think they've got I think they've got a good situation. You know, I think he's compensated decently. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he has much to complain about on those fronts. It would, it would just have to be a situation where you were truly making a big step up. And I I know we've had these conversations here before, and I'll say it again. I think it's so much harder than most casual fans realize to convince a power, whatever, well, power six for the moment, it'll be back to power five next year, um, coach to leave for an, where they are for another power six job. Unless, unless you've got uh, family situations or falling outs with within yeah. the school, the AD, like yeah, a, right. a change in the AD. Obviously, sometimes a change in the presidency mm-hmm. can spark it because that can affect it. Those are the kind of things that tend to force those moves. Not much else. It, it's hard. I mean, seriously, is an ACC school? going to come along and just blow Northwestern out of the water financially for Chris Collins. I don't think it's likely. No. You know? Yeah. You, you very, you just, you very, very rarely, it used to happen much more frequently because there was much more disparity between sometimes even within the same conference. Yeah. Of schools and their willingness to pay. I mean, I can think about, I mean, try to imagine this happening now and think about when, Arizona State came along and took Bill Frieder from Michigan. And granted, there were other things that were, there were some of these athletic department things I mentioned that were at work there. But I believe Arizona State also just paid them a lot more. Yeah. Um, it happened to Michigan before that, the guy before that. Iowa State came along and took Johnny, or you can't even fathom those things no. happening, not on the financial level at least. Right. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, the- yeah, certainly the the revenue sharing with the Big Ten Network. And, I mean, well, I mean, right now, you can't imagine any league has more money and resources than the Big Ten. Even no, the SEC. The big... and, and certainly SEC is going to put more into football in general for their... But, 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 to their credit, and, and the word is that several years ago, uh, the SEC commissioner got those schools together and said, listen, you need to start taking some of this money that we're generating and putting it into your basketball program. So the thing is, my understanding, I believe I've got this right, is that most SEC schools' athletic departments are smaller than the Big Ten in terms of the number of sports they have. Yeah, right. The number of scholarship sports. So there are less places, fewer places for it to go. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have a field hockey program that you're trying Wrestling, to build a palace hockey, for like yeah. Michigan did, you know. They don't have, you know, the baseball they take seriously. That's probably at least an equivalent to hockey in the Big Ten. But, um, and and to their credit, I think the SEC has done that. When you look at the hires, when you look at the coaching in the SEC right now, it's really good. Yeah. yeah I, I could make an argument that, and I don't think it would be too difficult to do so, that collectively, top to bottom, they have the best set of uh, basketball coaches of any league in America. I think that's true. I think they're better top to bottom than the Big Ten is. 
more accomplished at least because the Big Ten in recent years has lost a lot of guys. There used to be, not that long ago, a period where I would talk about that, how the Big Ten collectively has like, you know, 13 Final Fours among its head coaches. You know, and Izzo always had the lion's share, but you had you had Beeline, you had Tubby Smith, you had Thad Mata, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Crane. You had these, there were a few years in there where you really did have that. Big Ten does, I believe Izzo's the only guy with a Final Four, right? Gotta be. Probably so, yeah. In the Big Ten, yeah. I can't think of anybody I else. Wisconsin's man, I'm trying to think, because I know No, 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 yeah. not under Greg Gard. Yeah, um, so probably Case. So he's it. <laughs> Whereas the SEC... You know, Rick Barnes has been to a Final Four. Um, obviously, Calipari has been to a Final Four. They probably don't have a ton outside of that, but then you add to it, oh, Bruce Pearl um, has been to a Final Four. Um, then you have guys like Musselman and Nate Oates that people like. Um, the guy at Florida, is Todd Golden, still has to prove some things, but he's got fans. Uh, just the coaching Chris Beard has a Final Four, and he's at Ole Miss now. So, you know, they they funded that. But I think the reality is it's hard it's hard to imagine Big Ten or SEC schools losing their head coaches unless they simply decide they're not willing to spend the money they have. See Penn State, right. <laughs> that was an example of it. That's why, in my mind, the kind I said this at the time, the Big Ten should have called Penn State in after that and done exactly what the SEC did a few years ago and said, look, you can't keep doing this. You have to support your basketball program. It's it's the second highest profile sport we have. Mm-hmm. You need to treat it seriously. I mean, even schools like, you know, you look at Nebraska, you can you can knock the results, but you can't knock the willingness to try. Yeah, right. Funny effort there. All right, well, let's move on to the rosters for Northwestern. Uh, this segment is brought to you by the brothers that just do gutters, both the Grand Rapids crew out here with run by Kurt and his team and also Greg's team in the Metro Detroit area. If you need gutter work, and this is all they do, they just do gutters, they do a fantastic job, Great pricing, super efficient. They get things done quickly. They come out right away, get an estimate, you'll get an estimate, and they get it done fast too. So you don't have to wait around a long time. And also, even in January, they'll be come out and do your gutter work because, you know, it's raining or there's you got ice buildup. There's all sorts of problems you can have that can cause other issues in your house. And so make sure you take care of those things now. And this is a good time to do it. Uh, so you can get a hold of them at brothersgutters.com. Uh, and then you can find the contact information for both Kurt and Greg in your podcast player below. Uh, they said sponsor the player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. After we go through the lineup, Rod will tell you who Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter for the Northwestern Wildcats. We'll begin Boy, with... three three guesses and the first two don't count on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll begin We'll begin with the, uh, one of the best names in the Big Ten, Boo Booey, 6'2", fifth-year senior. Hard to imagine it's only been five years, uh, but he's averaging 18.1 points a game. 44, 35, 85 shooting, a streaky shooter. Uh, it's been that way throughout his career. Uh, he leads the team also in assists at four and a half per game, but less than a three to one assist to turnover ratio. And also five free throws a game for a team that doesn't get there very often. 
Yeah, look, we we everybody listening to this, I'm sure by we'll now. We'll say has, right now, right? <laughs> he's average. Believe it or not, he's only averaged 15 points a game in his career against Michigan State. That's dragged down by some stuff earlier in his career, I think, because lately he's been much better than that. Um, he's had a you know Spartan killer, right? That's you know. So th- can I stop you for a second? Because yeah, you know, I, yeah. I looked at the stats because I'm like I always hear this. I'm like I remember him having a couple right. of games, and this goes along the lines of everyone's paranoid about Northwestern that they got her number, blah blah blah. Yep. And yeah, yep. it is three and three the last six, so I don't take anything away from that. But uh, this this notion that Bowie hits scores like thirty every time. I mean, he's had right. 24, 5, 30, 13, 12, and twenty against Michigan State. So there you go. He's shooting he's slightly had a couple better. Of huge games. Yes, he had like, and that's what people remember. And that's, and I think the one people really remember is the one in twenty where he scored, dropped thirty yep. in at Breslin. What he was like nine of fifteen from the field, five of six from three, and yep. you know that's what they. I think that's what they remember because that was the first time that Northwestern had kind of won in quite a while, and they won in Breslin, and then since then, you know, they've had some trouble. So I think that's what, that's the thing that really gets people extra paranoid. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And look, he's a, he's a very good player. I, yeah, for I sure. said this about him last year. It's true again this year. They need him to be a volume shooter because that's the way he's going to be a scorer. And this is not they're they're a better offensive team than they have been. You know, they're solidly in the top 100 right now, but they're not a great offensive team. You know, so mm-hmm. they need somebody to be that guy and boo booey is that guy now his three-point shooting number is okay 35 percent um i've always felt and this is goes for really his whole career i've always felt he had the potential to be better than that if if he had better shot selection but that's just not who he is yeah he's a guy who puts it up, you know, he's not quite Tominaga, but close. Um, he'll put it up from any place, any time. You have to be conscious of that if you're guarding him. The nice thing about him is that he, over his career at Northwestern, early on I thought, well, this is a guy who's just a gunner. Mm-hmm. He's a shooter, a scorer, that's it. He really has developed into a point guard, into a legit point guard now. You mentioned he's not quite at a two to one ratio, but they still he's their he's their top assist guy, and and he's the guy who's going to do more playmaking than anybody else. So um, that's a positive. He's also a very good defender, and he gets to the line a lot for you know five free throw attempts a game, as you said for a team that otherwise just doesn't draw fouls. Um, that's a big positive too. So, so even with the inconsistency as a deep shooter, this is a very good player, and he's he's the guy that Michigan State's got to keep in the gutter. Big surprise, um, you know. This is this is not a matchup that I think has been a a, a positive one to this point in their careers for AJ Hogard, and it's not like he'll exclusively guard him. You know, the other people will get their turns on him, mm-hmm. but. I think regardless of who's guarding him, Bowie is the guy you start with. He's the top of the scouting report for a reason. And then uh, last year, his his uh, 
counterpart was Chase Adij, who has since left the team. And so now Ryan Langborg is the replacement. 6'4 transfer from Princeton. He averages 12.2 points a game on 45, 41, and 77 shooting. Big addition. And I said it, you know, at the time they added him, Audige had not yet made a call as to whether he would take his COVID year or not. He opted not to do so. He didn't transfer. He just stopped playing college right. basketball. Yeah. So at the time, it looked to me like, wow, Lightborn would be a hell of an addition as a, a first guard off the bench. And then Audige left, and all of a sudden you're talking about him as a starter. He came over from Princeton where he was uh, part of a, a very good team last year, and he's just had a great transition. He shot the ball extremely well. He, at 6'4", he's not quite the defender. Audige was really good with their pressure stuff, their half-court pressure. You know, he had kind of long arms. Yeah, he had he crazy athletic. long arms. Yeah. He was 6'4". Lamborn's not that, but he still fits. He's still good defensively for them, so... I don't think Chris Collins could have done a hell of a lot better in the portal than this addition because it's kept his his arrival has kept Northwestern's backcourt where it needed to be overall for this team to have a chance to be competitive. And this uh, sort of reminds you of Michigan State's team because again, your number three player here is Ty Berry, six three senior. So you have a lot of veteran players. Yep, uh, he had a little bit of a tough year last year, but he's averaging 11 points a game this season on 46, 42, and 77 shooting. So he's a lot uh, the reason why they're doing so much better from the uh, from outside. Absolutely, because he had a slump last year shooting the ball, and, and it was weird because he'd been good earlier in his career. <laughs> but his bounce back also, as you say, very important. Uh, gives him that third guy in the group. So all three of these guys are major threats. And um, and Barry, too, is a guy who knows how to defend the way Collins wants to defend. He understands their system very well because he's been in it for four years. Um, yeah, just a very, very solid player. Next up is Brooks Barnheiser, which is another great name. 6'6", 215-pound, 15-pound junior. Uh, he's gotten a lot better this over his career. He's now averaging 13 points a game, 7.5 rebounds a game, which is second on the team plays really, really hard. That's sort of like what I feel like when I watch him. That's, um, he gets maximum effort. He's shooting 39, 28, and 73, so not great shooting, uh, but he doesn't shoot a whole lot of threes. And he has, uh, he's second on the team at blocks at just almost one a game. Yeah, you could see this coming last year. If, if you remember, we used to talk a lot on this podcast about Robbie Buran, who was a very efficient player, but just never seemed to yeah. have the kind of shot volume that you would want for a guy who shot as well as he did. Late in the year when Northwestern kind of got their sea legs and made their push to be a tournament team, Baran started losing minutes to Barnheiser. Is it? And, and Barnheiser had been a pretty, for Northwestern standards, had been a pretty highly regarded recruit out of Indiana. And then as a freshman, he just didn't play very well. He really struggled with his shot. He played, he played a role, but he wasn't very effective. Last year, as I say, about halfway through the year, he really found himself. That's carried over into this season. He's their top rebounder. He's second in scoring. Um, he can block shots. As I say, at 6'6", 215, you're really talking about a fourth guard as much as anything else. Right. But that's okay because he's still rebounding well. 
So he's playing that four-man role solidly for them. Uh, so I think he's just he's emerged into the guy they hoped he could be uh, as an all-around player. Uh, the three-point shooting is a little disappointing, I'm sure. I'm sure they'd be happier if he was up in the mid-30s. And he, he certainly, when I've seen him, looks to be capable of doing that. They just haven't gone at that rate just yet. But everything else, you got to be pretty happy with if you're Chris Collins. Yeah, and he's probably not the kind of guy that you just leave wide open for three. It was similar to Malik. Malik's struggling, right. but you, you don't want to leave him like white. Yeah, exactly. Very, very good comparison, and they're shooting about the same percentage, too. Malik is up to 27-something percent. Right. All right, so finally, a seven-foot senior from hailing from Clarkson, Michigan, Matt Nicholson, averaging 4.6 points a game, three and a half rebounds a game, and one and a half blocks a game in about 20 minutes, shooting 62% from floor and a paltry 53% from the line. Yeah, he also, interesting thing, and having seen him play back in high school and AAU, I never would have expected this to be the case. His assist-to-turnover ratio for a center. Oh, yeah, And again, good. especially for a center who's not a finesse guy, is ridiculous. He's got 25 assists and five turnovers. That's a five-to-one ratio. For anybody, that's great. For a center who's, again, not a skill guy, that's crazy. So um, hats off to him for that. You know, he's he's become more or less the guy that I thought he could be. He was a guy, and listeners may remember, that I, I kind of hoped would make it to the spring of his senior year and that if he did enough his senior year at Clarkston, that maybe he'd be there as a, um, a late addition for Michigan State, kind of the way in a very similar scenario to the way they added Carson Cooper a couple of years ago. Right. That kind of thing, maybe not quite that late, but, mm-hmm. you know, springtime, that was what I was sort of hoping for. He didn't last that long. He got an offer at Northwestern and took it. And he's become, as I say, more or less the kind of guy I thought he could be. Um, he's a very solid defender. He takes up, occupies a lot of space in the lane. Not a great shot blocker, but he gives them something that's more than just pure shot blocking. It's that he just, as I said, occupies space. He's a big body. He knows how to use it. He knows how to move. He understands how to play his responsibilities in playing that back line in their defense. And that matters because you've got guards that are playing pretty aggressively. So you need to have somebody back there under the rim that understands their role and and knows how to execute it. He does. You know, again, any point production they get out of him is a bonus. He's he's never going to take bad shots. Yeah. Um, not a great free throw shooter. That's a knock. But uh, yeah, you know, the the thing is they've they've uh, I thought he might play a little bit more. He's played about half the game. I thought he might be more of a 25, maybe even 30-minute-a-night guy. They've, they've had some other bigs emerge to to share that role with him, which is probably a positive overall for the team. But, um, yeah, solid senior year. Moving on to the reserves, we start with Nick Martinelli, 6'7 sophomore, averaging 7.2 points a game at 2.7 rebounds a game in 19 minutes. He's shooting pretty well, 59, 36, and 90 but doesn't have a huge volume, obviously, with averaging eight, less than eight points a game. Yeah, I, I look at him as kind of analogous to where Barnheiser was last year. He's a year younger. 
similar size and similarly skilled. He can do a lot of things. It, it feels to me like he's starting to emerge. Again, he was a guy who was fairly well regarded as a recruit last year. Didn't make a huge impact, but you're seeing steady improvement right now. And I will not be surprised if next season you're seeing him as a double-digit scorer and more of a focal point. Well, they'll have to be because they're going to lose a lot of players who score yeah, was, for them. Yeah. But, but anyway, um, he's giving them he's giving them respectable play as a sixth man. Next up is Luke Hunger, 6'11", 255-pound sophomore, averaging 3.8 points a game and 1.4 rebounds a game in nine minutes, shooting 59, 30, and 58. Yeah, they liked him last year, and I can't – they brought him in last year. They liked him a lot. I can't remember off the top of my head what the deal was. I think he may have been injured, but regardless, he didn't play uh, much for them last season. But this year he's emerged as one of those guys who's helping the other 20 minutes other than Nicholson on the interior. Good size, and the thing they like about him is they think he's got some ability to shoot the ball. Right. Not a great percentage thus far, but when you're 30%, from three in your first go around actually playing that that's usually a decent indicator that there's some upside there next uh, big man is blake preston 6'9 240 pound transfer from liberty averaging 2.5 points a game 3.3 rebounds a game in 13 minutes and he shoots 41 percent from the floor and 30 percent from the line yeah he's obviously not a shooter uh, his role is a big body that can play at the four and the five, and he does both. And, you know, he's given them another option inside, which God knows there have been years where Northwestern didn't have enough bodies at with, with legitimate Big Ten size. Well, he's helped address that. And finally, Jordan Clayton, 6'2", freshman, averaging a little less than one point a game in 10 minutes, shooting 27% from floor and 17% from three. Yeah, really, really struggle with the shooting. I think they do look at him as a guy who probably assume, you know, in the modern age, you can't assume anything as yeah. to who sticks around. Right. But sure. at least in theory, he would be a guy who would be next up in that backcourt. And, you know, again, the shooting numbers are not pretty, but he's played consistently. You know, I think he's played in all but one of their games. Um, and they, they really don't have, he's really the only one of these guys, I guess Martinelli can play on the wing, but he's the only one of their reserves that looks to be a true guard in that way. So there's a role for him most likely the rest of the way. Not a deep team, but that's kind of typical for Northwestern. That generally yeah, and they the don't case. need to be at the pace they play. Exactly, yep. All right, so uh, move on to the Squeegee Squad segment where we have to, Pick who's going to clean the glass best. The Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids, they are, should be your go-to choice if you're in the west side of the state to take care of your windows. Uh, they can do residential, commercial, high-rise, whatever you need. They're a window washing company that does all those things. Also, they do power washing. So if you uh, don't want to repaint your house and sometimes you your house is not as bad as it looks, sometimes just a nice washing is all that it takes to extend the life of your the siding. So they can do all those things. They get you 15% off. If you mention rebound on your estimate, 
uh, as you get your free estimate, you can find ways to contact uh, the Squeegee Squad crew below. Uh, but it's squeegeesquad.com and you just kind of select your uh, Grand Rapids and then you can get a free estimate. And so they will, um, they're sponsoring the player who cleans the glass the best. Last game, it was Mati Shisoko, who I picked. So I'm up 1-0 right now. You get first pick this time, right? But I, I have a feeling we're going to see a trend here for a little while. Mati Sissoko is my choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm, this is the, t- I, I guess I'll go with, I'll go with Cooper. Maybe he'll have a, maybe he'll come in. Okay, and get, that's some, not I, bad. That's not a bad hedge. You figure if, if Mati's not leading, there's a chance that for whatever reason, maybe he's not playing as many minutes and, and then uh, Carson would be the guy who would soak a lot of those up. Yeah. I mean, it's either that or, or Hull, I think is, pretty, but you know, it's funny because yeah. Akins was really good rebounding early in the season. He was, yep. you know, he led the team. So always capable, they're... always capable of having a big game. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know. So anyway, we'll see how that turns out. So again, that's brought to you by Squeegee Squad at Grand Rapids, who cleans the glass the best and it's definitely the Squeegee Squad. All right. So five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. As a reminder, for those of you who listen to our post game show on Penn State, there is a contest going on by, with Gabe and his team at Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing uh, provides high-quality print screen um, apparel. They're all Michigan-based, and they have a free T-shirt if you can answer the following uh, trivia question. And the question is, which Michigan State player is the most is the last to be drafted in the top 10 of the NBA draft? So... So which end Miss You player is the last to be drafted in the top 10 of the NBA draft? Head on over to nudgeprinting.com slash tiffnots. That's T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S. Not only can you get access to our episodes there if you want, but you can enter the drawing with the answer. Uh, we're going to, I think, close that. I think he said he was going to close out on Wednesday. We will announce the winner after the Illinois game. So again, head on over to Nudge Printing. You can get whatever t-shirt you want. So they've got a massive selection. You can check out all their stuff at nudgeprinting.com. Super comfortable. Uh, great high quality stuff. Uh, whether, even if it's not Michigan State stuff, they have other collegiate apparel as well uh, in the state of Michigan and elsewhere. So just check out all their stuff. Just don't go looking for any Michigan gear because you're not going to find it there. All right. So five keys of the game. Number one, confidence. So Michigan State played well over the last five games, but you know they were at home and the other game was kind of home-ish. <laughs> Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. So now heading on to the road, you know, what's going to happen? Well, and uh, you know, if it's if it's a carryover from what we typically see at Welsh Ryan and what we talked about earlier, that Michigan State often will have half the crowd. If that repeats, then this is a nice way, just strictly from that perspective, to go into a road game, kind of akin to what we talked about heading into Penn State. All right, you're getting back in a Big Ten play. But this is a good scenario yeah. to do that and get your legs underneath you because you're at home against an inferior opponent. This is, you want to carry over your level of play and that level of confidence or swagger that MSU has back. But you're going on the road. It would be nice if it's not, you know, West Lafayette or Champaign-Urbana right. for the first one. Mm-hmm. You know, And so from that from that end of things, it's it's a better scenario than most would be, really than probably any other road environment except maybe Chrysler this season. Uh, yeah, it is. I, a, I have a 
I have a feeling that's going to be very heavily green. I think but, you're probably right. But I, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, but regardless of of how that shakes out, it's important that MSU not lose the the sense of confidence that they've been that they've had lately and the results in terms of the way they've been playing because of it. Yeah. Uh, very, well, very important. As we talked before, this is like a great, you know, starting out 0-2 in the league, it's a real big hole you got to dig yourself out of. <laughs> but it seems like yeah. you state, you know, this is the start of the season. It was a kind of a big hole. And they've, I think they've successfully dug themselves out of the the hole where you don't worry about even a tournament yes. appearance. So now it's, you know, how can you get, uh, can you become competitive in the Big Ten? This is a great setup where you have a nice confidence building against Penn State an easier road game, like you said, before you start hitting the real big boys like uh, Illinois on Thursday. Yep. So this is a great, it's a great way to, you know, to get into that. And uh, uh, moving on to... It's, it's an idea, it's an ideal situation other than the fact that you're playing a, a pretty competitive team. There are certainly many worse teams in the league than Northwestern right, this year. Right, right. Uh, second key to the game are the boards. Northwestern, not a good rebounding team. But guess what? Who else is in a good rebounding team this season? Right. Michigan State. Uh, and so if, and, and I feel like this is the my litmus test for if some if an announcer is paying attention to like what's going on, where they say, "Oh, Michigan State's great rebounding team," that you're just like living in the past. I mean, not that Michigan State's bad, but they have not been very good at times. Yeah, they're they're better overall than Northwestern is, but but by Michigan State standards, they're they're really bad because even. Even a year like last year, where they were so bad on the offensive boards, they were actually very good as a defensive rebounding team. This year, they're just mediocre at both ends. Now, we've seen flashes at both ends. Yeah. We've seen games against good opponents where Michigan State's done the job. They've either really hit the offensive glass well, or they've shut down a good offensive rebounding team at the other end. We've seen it. What we haven't seen is them doing that consistently. It would be nice to see MSU just control the boards in a game like this. The opportunity should be there. They just have to do it. You know, I talked about how this is a team, really, if you look at Barnheiser, it's four guards. I mean, he's rebounding well, but physically, he's not, you know, Malik Hall is a little bigger than he is. So this is not a big team from a physical perspective, you know, they're just not. And Michigan State should have every opportunity to win the rebounding battle at both ends. They just need to do it. Yeah. It's certainly a team. It's got to be frustrating, Tom Izzo, because uh, that is like, you know, that is important. Like we talk about defensively, you've got to close down possessions and yeah. to have, and we see that the potential's there. It's just like, it's like, I, what it, it's got to be a mindset thing way. at this point, right? Michigan, yeah. Michigan State is currently the eighth best defensive team in the country per Ken Palm in terms of defensive efficiency. And that's with <laughs> very mediocre defensive rebounding. If this team rebounded defensively the way last year's did, I think we're probably talking about a defense that's top two or three as opposed to eighth, which is still very, very good. Yeah. But it just goes to show you. As good as they've been there, there's still an opportunity for improvement from here, and it it at that end it really comes down to rebounding. Well, I think we saw that where they in can Baylor, be better. right? I mean, the Baylor game was a good yep. example. Of what happens when yep. they defensively rebound? They Absolutely, com- right? it's a great point. 
Great point. Yes, that's that's it exactly. So third key to the game: guard play. Uh, as mentioned, Michigan, Northwestern has a lot of really good guards. They defensively generate a lot of turnovers. That's sort of their their mo. And so Michigan State has to be strong with the ball. And there's no reason to think they can't. I was looking yesterday at some point at Michigan State's assists to turnover ratios, individuals. And I think the reason that sparked it is there's been some talk lately about Trey Holloman <laughs> setting. Is, is he third, I think, in the country? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's obviously, that's among qualifiers. You have to have a certain amount right. of activity to, to qualify. But among qualifiers, he sits very, very well nationally. But man, just across the board, Jeremy Fears before, you know, he got hurt, obviously, and he's likely done for the year, we think. He was at 43 assists to 10 turnovers when he went out. Um, if you look at Tyson Walker's numbers, A.J. Hogarth's numbers, A.J.'s actually not as impressive because he's got more turnovers than other people. He's still better than a 2-1, to but it's other several other people are better than that. Malik Hall is having a spectacular year in yeah. that category. Yeah. You know, and my point here is this group is is doing some things that we don't typically see from an MSU team. And, and there are some things like we've been talking about that MSU teams usually do that this group hasn't done well, rebounding primarily. Mm -hmm. But man, the way they have taken care of the ball, even when they've been playing in games lately where they've been able to get into a faster pace, it really is impressive, and it's not just one guy. It's it's a lot of guys contributing there, and and again, they're not guys. I look at Michigan State, and to me, it's a much truer number than oh, I always think of uh, McCaffrey's kid at Iowa yeah. as an example. Connor McCaffrey, his, yeah. yeah, his ratio was insane. It was like four and a half to one or five to one. But you watch him play, look, well, yeah, I understand it because he doesn't ever really try to do anything with the ball. Yeah. He's just kind of a per, a, pa a perimeter passer, sit, you know, standing on the arc, and he's going to get credit for a certain number of assists because they've got shooters and he'll the ball will touch his hands sometimes. And to his credit, he didn't make mistakes, but he also didn't make things happen very much. Well, that's not true of Michigan State's guys. Yeah. Trey Holloman's looking to make things happen. Tyson Walker definitely is making things happen. A.J. Hogard, I would even argue Malik Hall, is making things happen. So it's it's a much truer number than some others in, in some ways because MSU is much more dynamic. We've talked about, I, I said it near the outset of the show, I think these are the two best backcourts in the league. So what you want to see is at both ends, Michigan State's guards winning that battle. I think they're better than Northwesterns. They just need to go out and play that way. Well, and that's that's a nice 180 from about three weeks ago. <laughs> we did not feel yeah. Michigan State's backcourt was that good. Well, outside of Walker, but, but here, but but it's it's the truth, right? Yeah. One of the things we said here when they were going through that bad stretch is this team. You could because there would. There'll be all this stuff tossed around. People obsessing about the fives. People obsessing about Malik Hall. 
people obsessing about Xavier Booker not playing, all these other things. And look, you can talk about all that stuff as much as you want, but here's the bottom line. They're going to be as good as their backcourt is because their backcourt is where the best talent is. It's where the scoring is. And it's what it's what convinced people that they were a preseason top five team. That was predicated on their guards being really good. Well, we've seen what a difference it makes when their guards are really good. Yeah, it's quite a quite a dramatic change. Fourth key to the game is defending the arc. Not a team that shoots a ton of threes for the Wildcats, but they do uh, they do quite a few and they hit a lot. They're with thirty seven percent on the season. So they're a team that can, you know, as we've always mentioned, if you're a little inferior team, the threes are a way to equalize that. Yeah, uh, they they are not as three happy as I mean they're even they they even take fewer of them than teams that I wouldn't describe as three happy. They take thirty six percent of their shots from three, which in the modern era is not huge. Kind of your your threshold number of an expectation for a team would usually be you know somewhere around forty percent. Mm-hmm. And then you can get to teams like Indiana State where they were. I think 46%. Yeah. And and in the game MSU played, they were well over 50%. <laughs> right. Um, that's not Northwestern. But what Northwestern is, is a very efficient team when they do take them. So that's what you've got to be concerned about. When I look at Northwestern as a team offensively, you know, they don't get to the foul line much. They don't have a low post weapon. They're not certainly not a transition team. So where is the offense coming? Well, the offense is coming primarily from perimeter guys. Now, that doesn't mean they're exclusively taking threes, but it's it's their guards. It's jump shots, you know? And so to me, where with this team, where you start is the backcourt and specifically the perimeter, the arc. You've got to look to limit the quality of shots they're getting. That's as simple as that. I think if you if you can, you know, some games like we talked about Indiana State, the danger in doing that with that team is they were so good otherwise offensively. Right. They had a guy who could score inside. They were an extremely good passing team, very intelligent in the way they cut. A lot of they run a lot of back cuts against against high ball pressure. Um, you had to be conscious of all that stuff, so you really couldn't afford to go heavy. I'm not saying Michigan State needs to go ultra, ultra heavy on the perimeter, but I think I think they they would be advised to tilt it a little more to that that end of things to start with, and then let's see if Northwestern, if you're taking those shots away, let's see if Northwestern can go around you let's see if they can make you pay for it with their passing and man movement you know all, all that stuff but i think you start with a premise of we want to limit the quality of looks they get yeah i think tom Izzo mentioned this is not exactly that but tom Izzo mentioned uh, Madi's play especially the penn state game on his ball screen defense is so good right now he's forcing yep. those guards into positions where when they drive around they're they're walking they're basically running into a bunch of hands that are reaching it can get easy steals right. and, and swipes and stuff and that's we saw that in the game against penn state right penn state whenever they tried to get inside it was almost always stripped uh i think what 13 or 10 seals we've seen it many times 
in this stretch. We saw it against Baylor. Yep. We saw it against Penn State. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not just the guards who are responsible for that, but as a team, I think that's where Michigan State's attention needs to start is focusing on that. You know, some games, it's the opposite. Some games, you know, a team like Illinois, I think you're going to live with them taking a lot of threes. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to be much more conscious about guys trying to go off the dribble and then looking to get their post players involved. You know, this is not one of those games. I think you, you recognize this is where the primary offensive threat is. That's what you've got to look to shut down. And the fifth and final key to the game, the start. And Michigan State's been very good recently and getting off to strong starts. Uh, certainly the first half more than the second half usually. But this is a game, I think there was a, a year, a few years ago, where they Michigan State got into, had like one of the biggest comebacks ever, but getting down 20-some points. This 2018. Is not, yeah, this does yeah. not seem like the kind of game where you no. want to have that, put yourself in no. that sort of hole. And, it, you know, obviously you never want that, but... This is not a team that's with a, their slow pace that you can make up a huge ground on them if you if you get too far behind. That's the thing. Um, I think the problem, if you fall down by a considerable amount to Northwestern, besides just their confidence going up and, and they're at home and all of that, is they can start squeezing the game on you because yeah. they're going to be deliberate offensively, but then their defense has had a tendency to force opponents to use up a ton of clock, too. So you're not typically getting quick possessions at the other end when you've got the ball. If Even if you're scoring, you're kind of having to go through a grind. So I think it's important that Michigan State continue their recent pattern where they've been getting off to solid, if not spectacular, starts and that's going to pay dividends in a in a bunch of different ways but but the biggest one in my mind is it doesn't allow northwestern to start squeezing the game and i i've watched northwestern a little bit this year i i don't feel like i've i feel like in the past they played the one three one zone a little bit more yeah I, I haven't seen that that at least when i was watching i don't recall but i feel like collins throws that out there sometimes again this does not seem like the kind of team that you want to zone in michigan state unless you're well, just that's a little trick different them. That's true, but that's a little different kind of zone. And yeah. when they've played that, they're usually doing it again to to try to to try to manufacture some pressure and some traps on the perimeter and force mistakes. Uh, I would agree that Michigan State as a passing team is not a group you'd want to do that against necessarily, but it is a little different kind of zone if we do see it than we've been seeing from some of these teams from from uh, Indiana State and yeah. from Penn State, respectively, where it just, you know, it was I think it was a garden variety 2-3, and Michigan State just found the gaps and bam, just yeah. punished them. 1-3-1's one, a little different animal. You're really, with the 1-3-1, one, one, usually your objective is, when it's played aggressively the way Northwestern does, is you're trying to create mistakes but also you're trying to force the opponent into having to use a lot of clock because it can be tough sometimes to figure that thing out and move the ball into, into good shooting areas, you know? Right. Um, the two, three, I think is uh, oftentimes if it's, 
is a little easier to diagnose and get a good shot. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. I just want to remind you once again to check out the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids nudge printing. And there's still that opportunity to go to uh, the contest to answer the question, which Michigan State player was... Oh, did I forget something? No. No, no. Sorry. uh, Stretching. So you can check out uh, Nudge Printing, where you can get an opportunity to win a free t-shirt. Going to nudgeprinting.com slash tiffnots, T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S. Either you can enter the drawing for a free t-shirt from Nudge Printing. And also go to the Brothers Adjust Your Gutters at brothersgutters.com if you need gutter work in the west side or the east side of the state. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green.